First reading is from Ecclesiastes, A Time for Everything, and this is taken from chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. It's on page 671 in the Pew Bible. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. The second reading is, uh, can be found on page 1135. It's Romans 8, verses 18 to 39. That's page 1135. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people 
in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall spare us from the love of Christ? Sorry, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your extraordinary love for us. It's so high, so deep, so long and so wide that it's hard for us to contemplate, hard for us to grasp, hard for us to see. And Father, I pray for each one of us this morning that we'd grasp a little bit more of what it is you want to say to us this morning and what you want to do in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning for those who I haven't said morning to and for those who may be visiting, it's great to see you. I'm Tim Glegman, I'm the rector here. And... Um, some of you, when you come to church, what you like to do is you like to sit there and you like to be left quietly alone. Some of you like a little bit of interaction, and so this morning, a tiny bit of interaction. Um, I'd like you to take 20 seconds to think about what's the most significant thing that's happened to you this week. Not what other people think. What's the most significant thing that sticks in your mind that's happened 
this week that's had an effect on you? Okay, what I'd like you now to do is to find somebody, possibly the person next to you, but if you're not sat next to someone, find someone else. And if you're, not, if you're new, make sure the person who isn't new comes to say hello to you. Uh, I will look out. And, and share, what was that one thing? Okay, if I could... Um, maybe encourage you to bring that conversation to a close. For now, do feel free to catch up with the person after the service. If you've started a conversation that you think is amazing or really fascinating and you want to know more, um, maybe, maybe have finished that conversation after church. I don't know, maybe... I've started something now. I've only got myself to blame. Okay, we're continuing our series on discipleship. And during this, as Pete said, during this Lent time, we're thinking a little bit more about what does it mean when it comes to it to be a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? What can we expect? And the language of discipleship talks about what it means to follow somebody. But actually, more fundamentally than that, and what's possibly more helpful than that, is to think of discipleship in the terms of being an apprentice to Jesus. An apprentice to Jesus who we learn from and we follow and we spend time with to become like him. To become Christ-like in our life. One of the challenges of talking about just being following is we, we think it's just a little meander where we don't need to worry about it. But in terms of apprenticeship, that the goal, the aim of Christian life is to be transformed into the likeness of the person we know and we follow. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how that by the word, that is Jesus and the Spirit, God longs to shape each one of our lives through his life that he pours out for us. It's his life as we allow his life to shape us and to mould us, that that's what discipleship, that's what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. God longs to see transformation and change in our life. 
Some of you may be not sure about that. Actually, I'm quite fine as I am, thank you. I'd guess for you, though, that being holy doesn't come automatically to you. I won't ask your husband, your wife, or the person you're here with this morning to see whether that's true. I'd imagine, for example, that forgiving somebody who has wronged you is not automatic for you. I would imagine that loving your neighbour or loving even your, not just your neighbour but your enemy who has made your life a misery is not automatic for you. I'd imagine that seeing that all you have in your life as a blessing from God that you want to be generous with rather than seeing it as your own is not automatic for you. God wants to get to work in our lives to change us, to mould us and to shape us. But he offers that by offering his life to us. It's not about us just saying it's our wills, but actually offer his very life himself to enable that transformation to take place. One of the fundamental Christian understandings of what it means to be human is that every single person is made in the likeness of God. Each of us bears the image of God for anybody who is created. All of us are unique. We have unique, we're uniquely made, if I can manage to say it this morning. Uniquely created in the image of God. We also have, we're brought up, each of us, in a unique circumstance with parents who are unique. Or maybe we didn't know our biological parents, but in a situation that's unique. In a, in a culture of a house, or a family, or a school, or a community that is unique. And that shapes us for good and for bad too. All of us this morning will have different callings on our life. Different vocations is the word we often use. And each one of us this morning has a unique contribution that God has called us to make to his world. He's uniquely called us, made us, created us, giving a whole breadth of experiences throughout the whole of our life for good and for bad to enable us to live that life that brings glory to God, to make a contribution that nobody else can make. Nobody else can make. Apprenticeship with Jesus, apprenticeship, discipleship, is for artists, it's for business people, it's for full-time carers, it's for teachers, it's for accountants, it's for sportsmen and sportswomen, it's for journalists, it's for politicians, it's for nurses, it's for teachers, for engineers, for computer programmers, for entrepreneurs, for musicians, administrators, for youth workers, for vicars, and even for lawyers, as I had a conversation this week with somebody about that. Sorry, a bit naughty about lawyers, but David, I know you sat there, so it's okay. Accountants are allowed to give lawyers grief. Uh, that's a rule, basically. Um, each of us are called to live our life, not just it's me and Jesus, 
But it's me and Jesus in relation to where my home life is, to where my work life is, or my life in the world, and my life in the church. The Christian life is lived as a fullness, as a life in every direction for every part of our life. God isn't just interested when you turn up here for an hour, two hours on a Sunday. He's passionately interested in every part of our life, in every sphere of our lives. Jesus came into this world to seek as a son of man, to seek and save all people. Christianity is not a niche. It's why we Christians who live and we work in all spheres of life. But not everybody here, I don't know who you might have in the Christian life. You might have someone who's a particular hero to you. But not everybody is called to be Billy Graham, for example, who we celebrated his life uh, in the last couple of weeks. Not everybody's going to be a William Wilberforce who will change slavery when we celebrate. Not everybody's going to be a Jane Austen. Not everybody is going to be Mother Teresa or the great artist or the great business person who's a Christian that you revere. I wonder who it is that you put on a pedestal and, really, and revere. But I can be the best Tim Gleghorn. I can be the best David Kingston. Well, I can't, but David Kingston can. I can be the best Pete Rogers. I can be the best Valerie. I can be who God has called me to be. And that's what God's called me to be. The book of Galatians um, that I recently went back through again particularly reminds us of the danger of living our Christian lives in comparison to other people. And I know, for example, on a day like today for Mother's Day, that for many people it's a, a happy day and a celebrated day. But alongside that, it's also a day of pain and disappointment and frustration for many people. And living in comparison can be really, really challenging. Because you get distracted by what everybody else is doing, what everybody else's life is up to. And we sit there and say, well, I'm here, they're there. They seem to have an amazing time. I seem to not be having an amazing time. I must, things must be gone, have gone wrong in my life. Somehow I must be living a worse life than them over there. But yet even in each of our Christians' lives... Even when we stumble and we fall, God is at work in our lives, working in us and working through us, even in some of those challenges that each one of us face, in a work that he wants to transform and to shape each one of our lives by his Spirit through his Son. Our Christian lives grow as we learn over a, over a lifetime, but sometimes not over lifetimes. Sometimes a person who comes to Christ and then just wants to get on with it. But we learn to follow and trust him in all seasons of life. So as we respond, to learn to respond and put our trust in God in all seasons of life, that our faith starts to come alive. As the writer to Ecclesiastes, write, Ecclesiastes writes beautifully, there are countless seasons to our life. 
time to laugh. But there's also time to cry. There's time, time to plant. And there's a time to reap. There's a time to proceed and a time to stop. Many of us know and can testify over many years the different seasons of life that we may have been through. And for some of us, we'll also know the experience of living in different seasons at the same time. What do I mean? Well, we live with a death and new life at the same time. And we're called to live through those seasons and all that that brings at the same time. We live with both joy and sorrow, with disappointment and frustration, with battle, all as part of the same dynamic. Ecclesiastes reminds us, however, that we're not in control. Many of us spend a lot of our lives trying to pretend and give the impression that we have a life that is in control. We're on top of it. We've got it sorted. But in a life of constant change where we make a series of decisions for ourselves that have consequences, a load of other people who we live with make a series of decisions for themselves that have consequences for our life, that actually things are changing around us all the time. And then in the constant dynamic of change, there are consequences to what we do and to what others do. So how do we live in this? How do we live in this something that seems to change so much? How do you make sense of what it means to be a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus with the uncertainty? I'm going to talk about four particular seasons of life that actually I hope will help you a little bit, help us a little bit, to think about that not everybody is living life in the same place as where we are. And that when we go through a different season, there might be things that we can do that might help us through that season. I don't know whether uh, those of you who've been Christians a long period of time, whether you've ever had the experience when you're going through a really rough time and things are going wrong, uh, you've got all sorts of challenges, and you know, someone who's lovely and very well-meaning comes up to you and says, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good, for those who love God. I can see a few smiles amongst some people. Now, for those of you who are going through the deepest valley, and that person who gives that verse will have given it with good intentions, I'm sure there was a little bit of you that would have liked to have punched them. Why? The verse is wrong. God is at work in all our lives about his purposes. But in that moment, when you're at the deepest part of the valley, that maybe isn't what God wants to say to you. What they may need is their arm around the shoulder and to walk with them. May not be. But actually, we need to register that God is at work in all seasons of of life. God is interested in our joys, our sorrows, our weaknesses, our struggles, our battles. He's at work in our, our work and our play, and at work in our successes and our failures. It's very easy. Sorry, I sound like I'm having a rant about young, uh, kind of younger generation, but it's very easy with the Instagram world and all the kind of technological world 
to, to technologically paint the perfect life that you are living with a highlights reel of all that's good about your life. But conveniently forget all this other stuff that's going on in your life that shows that you're broken, that you're destitute, that actually you're struggling in all sorts of ways. But one of the things that will help you um, live a life of, of avoiding being disappointed and frustrated in your Christian life is to take note of some of the seasons that we find ourselves in. Firstly, I want to talk about the party. Remember, Jesus' first miracle on his public ministry was at a party. It wasn't any old party. It was a wedding in Cana recorded in John 2. Jesus turned water into wine. He enabled a party that was flagging to, to, to keep going, to keep celebrating. And not only did he do that, but he created the, the best wine for the end of this party. It's a miracle of generosity. It's a miracle of uh, hospitality. It's a miracle of abundance. And it's a miracle of celebration. If I asked you honestly this morning what your predominant view of God is, who you think God is, do you see him as an abundant God, a generous God, a good God? Or really, God's a bit angry with me, a bit frustrated with me, a bit disappointed with me. He's a little bit tight-fisted, that God, because he won't give me what I want. That's the God that I think of. That God somehow didn't come to bring life in all its fullness. And there are seasons in our life, and most of us will recognize this, when actually our life is going really, really well. Our work life is flourishing, our relationships are flowing, our family life is great, our kids are doing well, uh, whatever else it is, every sphere of life. There is a season in life when life is great. We're flourishing, full of, full of abundance. It's like heaven is open over your life and there's a time of feasting. If you're in that time of feasting and of celebration where it's all good, actually one of the things we need to remember in this season of life is that it's all God's gift to us and we need to give thanks. And we need to remember that we call to give away the goodness that we have to share it with others. There's nothing being ashamed at having good things, that to know God's blessing, we don't need to be embarrassed about it. But when we get it, we need to give it too. God gives his own life away for us. And we need to remember a life of thankfulness before God. Last week, um, a number of us went up to a conference in Harrogate. Um, it was a conference for leaders. And two years ago, I'd gone to sort of a, a similar conference um, and there's no easy way of explaining this, but, but actually two years ago when I went, God did, was doing an extraordinary work in my life. I don't know what he was doing, I don't know why he was doing it, but actually everything that was said, every session I went to, everything that happened, God seemed to be doing something very significant and manifest in my life. And my life was changing radically. I was being freed from stuff, I was being healed from stuff, all sorts of things that were happening to me that seemed to be amazing. And I went back last week. And it's very easy when you go back to a place when God's done something amazing, you can live and say, well, God, why aren't you doing the same thing to me now? Rather than, Lord, thank you so much for what you were doing in me then. 
thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for strength to enable me to walk through a really difficult season. Thank you, God, for your resources, your hand upon my life and on my family's life. I've got so much to be grateful for. We need to remember to give thanks. I've no idea where your life is this morning, but I want us to take one minute, and I'd like you to close your eyes. I'd like you to spend time giving thanks for what you do have, not what you don't have, for the people you do have. Just take a moment to give thanks for when you have been in a place of party and blessing. Okay. Thank you. Second season we can find ourselves in is the desert experience. We can find ourselves in the desert. Our relationships are fragile. Our relationships maybe have become broken. Our work life may have been shot to pieces. Our personal world or our personal relationship with Jesus can feel like there's absolutely no life in it. We've literally spiritually dried up as though there's no life whatsoever in it. We feel distant from God. We feel somehow God seems to have abandoned us. We seem to have felt an experience of just an incredible desert experience. And most of us at one time or another can relate to something like this. Being in the wilderness, being in exile, or being in prison, literally or figuratively, if I can say it again, is not a nice place to be. Some choose this as a way of life. The desert fathers chose to live in this experience constantly. But most don't. Most of us don't choose the desert. Most don't choose to go there. But actually, I'd argue and I'd say to you that being in the desert place is a place that God can get to work in your life in quite a unique and ultimately quite a beautiful way. Remember, Jesus spent 40 days in the desert before his public ministry. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before leading God's people. Joseph was imprisoned, and throughout Scripture, we see those who've been through that exile, that desert, or that wilderness experience. And the thing is this, um, when we find ourselves in the wilderness... When we feel isolated, where we feel abandoned, or we even feel rejected, the stuff in life that we put our trust in, that when that's taken away from us, all the stuff that we take comfort in, that gives us faith and hope that we think is really, really important, suddenly we have to start to face 
some of our fears, some of the things that actually make us feel uncomfortable, the temptations in our life. In the season of life, if you're in this season of your life, you'll know that it's one of the great temptations is to spend all your life grumbling and moaning and complaining. It's a place of deep discomfort. But one of the places I've often found, if you find yourself in this place, is to go to the Psalms. How long, O Lord? How long? How long, O Lord, will I have to endure this? Deliver me from this. Lord, God seems to get at work in those places where we're disorientated, we make no sense, where it seems to be barren. God starts to get to work when we recognize our weakness so we become much more open to God's power in our lives. So often one of the biggest challenges is we feel we're so able to do everything. The wilderness has an ability to bring us back to the heart of it. To, to the sinful attitudes and behaviours that inflict our life, our bad habits, our self-destructed behaviours, our pride, our arrogance, our, our selfishness. And we've got to face it in a way that when we're so busy and when we fill our life with stuff, actually we don't have to. But in that place... God can get into a place of bringing freedom to us in a way that in other places he doesn't seem to. So that actually in our weakness and our vulnerability, we open ourselves up to God's power in a way that frees us and enables us to then strengthen us for what we call to later in life too. I remember one particular time uh, in my work life, I very foolishly uh, uh, I think over time, looking at my time in the NHS, I'd said to someone uh, relatively recently, I'd said that, uh, talking about my career in the NHS, about 15, 16 years in the NHS, generally I'd been just promoted constantly, I'd got more responsibility, things had always looking good, gone well. Then out of nowhere, actually an incredibly difficult thing happened to me. And I remember saying to a friend soon before this, that actually God seemed to place his hand on me and bless me. And God reminded me that actually after this dreadful incident that happened, that actually he used it to strip away my pride, my arrogance, some of the bad habits I got into in work, that to be honest, I'd have just continued if this circumstance hadn't happened to me. And in the desert place where I was essentially away from work for a period of time, God got to work in my life in a new way got to work in my life because I realized that I needed to actually address some things that were not helpful, not good, and also not helpful to other people. One of the other things that um, I was reminded of during this time is it's time when it becomes much more still, is that I was reminded this week that actually the time where God reminded me to keep singing a song. Now, I'd you know, you may come to church, it may be the only time you sing a song, but when you spend time with God, what is it, the song, what song are you going to sing that's your song that reminds you that even in the wilderness, God is with you, that he hasn't forsaken you, he hasn't rejected you, he loves you the same, but actually you are in the wilderness, and it's you and him. 
But in the wilderness, you can still sing the song that God has given you or speaks to you, something that speaks to you of God's work in your life. Thirdly, uh, the battle. Uh, a number of years ago, um, I think I've said this before, a number of years ago, I read and reread the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and spent quite a long time going through them again and again and again. And one of the things, if you do that, you'll notice that the Jesus that you maybe think you know isn't quite the Jesus of the New Testament. The fluffy, nice man who does lovely things isn't quite the Jesus that you'll find in the Gospels. It wasn't the gentleman who just wandered around. There's actually a lot of conflict, a lot of difficulty. That actually you see that God is full of power. Jesus portrayed as a man of power in all sorts of ways, in the way he dealt with sickness and disease, he dealt in, in terms of dealings with uh, the religious leaders and all sorts of other ways. That God was a work. The Prince of Peace encountered a lot of confrontation. But he brought his kingdom of power and peace to those situations. Throughout Scripture, we see in the images of life with God is a battle. There is a battle in each one of our lives. And life isn't always straightforward. Life isn't always like a cruise liner. There are things in our life, there are battles in our life that we're called to take up. So, for example, the bad habits and the sinful patterns in your life. And in that battle, we're called to put on the armor of God. We don't fight with the same um, weapons that the world does, but Ephesians 6 talks us to put on the full armor of God. We might need to do that in relation to our personal stuff, but also when we're enduring suffering and hardship for us as a church. Or it might be just holding on to the, the, the plans God has for you and to take that battle to God in prayer. One of the things we do when we're in that battle thing is we, God takes us again to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. To pray, to pray, to make a priority to pray when we know in a season of confrontation and difficulty and battle. And if you're not sure what to pray, I suggest you just pray the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray it together now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. One of the things, uh, four or five weeks ago, when I was praying for the church, um, God, I felt, speak to me and just said one word, which is about watchmen. That God wanted to raise up some people would be like watchmen over this church and over us as a community and if God does start to speak to you about that then do come and speak to me then lastly and very quickly victory is about the season of victory victory is all about when we go through hardships we go through these challenges but actually through God's glory and his strength we get to the other side we get through that difficult period. We experience that transformation, that the freedom from that kind of uh, thing that was afflicting us. And that's a story, the story that we talk about and we celebrate through Jesus' death on the cross. 
He wasn't, Jesus wasn't glorified in spite of the cross. Jesus was glorified through the cross. The cross was the means by which he brought salvation to mankind. And the same pattern of the cross is lived out amongst us, his believers too. Each of us, I wonder, maybe could tell a story where we've had a challenge in our life. And God has enabled us to walk through that particular season, to that season of knowing that we've overcome in some way. Each, each time I look at my two children, that's a story of God's provision in our life. I've told the story before, but I won't tell it again. I still remember when I was here as a school child, the last thing I wanted to do when I was in the class was to speak, and somehow I'm ending up doing this. The last human thing I'd actually like to do was be to speak in class. And God calls us to walk into those battle places. That he's called us to do it, not other people. And actually through it, God begins to grow faith in us as we respond in obedience to him. And if you're not sure um, what, it, what it means uh, to talk about God's victory, we look at the, um, some great passages. Uh, Brian, if you can move the slide on. And to meditate on what, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Brian, could you move the... There's, here's, I'm gonna, we're going to say together four verses of scripture that meditate on Jesus' victory on the cross for us and his life for us and his love for us as we come to a conclusion. Let me just, let's say these together. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And finally, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. In all the challenges of the different seasons of our lives, we reflect on all you've done for us. You gave your life for us through Jesus on the cross, once for all, so that we may know your life in all its fullness. Father, we thank you that for those of us who put our trust in you, that you are present with us in every season of our lives. You're present with us in the party. You're present with us in the desert. You're present with us in the battle. You're present in the victory. And it's your strength and it's your power that enables us in our life. And Father, in this season of our church life, as we continue to discern and to know what it is you're calling us to be and to do, building on all that you've done, would you help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, not on what everybody else is doing, not what other people want us to do. And to learn what it means is to take the next step of faith, to follow you, to walk with you day by day. Now, Father, I pray that for any this morning who has sat here feeling isolated, feeling lonely in the battle, Father, I pray that 
they would not just know in a, um, in a general sense that we stand together as a church, but actually that we'd love to pray for each other, to support each other. If we've got stuck, if like the psalmist we often see is somebody who's just confused, longing for God to come to meet them and to minister to them. Father, thank you that you know each one of us. You know each one of us by name. You know where we are, you know the challenges, you know the joys that we're experiencing. Would you lead us this week? Would you remind us of who you are and all that you've done for us? In Jesus' name, amen.